Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the discussion continues about Pierre Poilievre's promise to fire the head of the Bank of Canada. The independence of the Bank of Canada from the government of the day is a really important principle that ensures the stability and the good reputation of Canada in international economic circles. Uh, uh, in, in international economic circles. New nations are joining NATO amid member states' uncertain relationship with Russia. We have been in close contact with governments of NATO member states and NATO itself. I wish to thank the support we have received so far. And the Prince of Wales returns to Canada for a royal visit. Things have certainly changed. There there have been a lot of scandals. There have been a lot of uh, question marks around the value of of the royal family, uh, the role they play in in Commonwealth society in in a country such as Canada. It's Monday, May 16th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Good morning, Peter. Hi, Mark. So as we start another week in Canadian politics, uh, I, I think there's going to be a lot of discussion about something that was introduced last week, and that's Pierre Poilievre saying that he would fire the Bank of Canada's governor if he... Uh, if he becomes prime minister, he's got to win the conservative leadership, then he's got to win a federal election in order to do that. But a lot of people are weighing in on this. And I think a lot of people are also looking at it through the lens of of whether this is something that will bring support to Pierre Poilievre, whether it's the kind of thing that might get him elected as leader, because it 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 mobilizes a, a base of support within the Conservative Party, mm-hmm. but whether it puts him at risk uh, when it comes to the next federal election. Yeah, I think you know that's what everybody looks for in in leadership races: is you look for ideas, you look for you know even big ideas. Uh, what is it you can sell, not just to your party, but what you can sell uh, to grow the party? And I think you and I talked about this uh, either last week or the week before, Mark, about you know. Uh, this idea of firing the governor of the Bank of Canada and interfering with a uh, an institution that's uh, that basically is all about independence and setting monetary policy and trying to control inflation and it can clearly come in for criticism and there's you know lots of debate about this but you know the idea of firing the head of a of a, a public institution and how that you know might reverberate not just in Canada but around the world. That's a big idea. The question is, who can you draw to the idea? Does it consolidate Pierre Polyev's base around Pierre Polyev's ideas, you know, to slam elites and, uh, you know, get rid of, uh, presumably, uh, policymakers who don't see the world the way he sees the world? But what we had talked about is, let's see, you know, who starts to, uh, you know, uh, object to this idea. And so now we, we're seeing... You know, candidates in the leadership race object to the ideas and speak out about, you know, calling them reckless, not the way to go. And even conservative commentators outside the party, other people saying, you know, this is not the way to go. This is a bad idea. This is risky. It sends the wrong message about uh, the distance we're supposed to have between, you know, politics and policy makers uh, that work for independent Canadian agencies. So, it comes back to the whole question again. It really is the, the, the focus of the race. And when you, you know, you have Pierre Polyev's message and the people running against him, their message is great. Uh, you know, Pierre Polyev might be the front runner. He might be able to win the conservative leadership, but can he grow the party 
at election time uh, outside that circle. And I think there's going to be lots of questions about whether you can uh, grow the Conservative Party by, you know, threatening to fire the, the, the head of the Bank of Canada because who else is on the list at that point? How many other public uh, agency figures that, uh, you know, uh, have been, you know, invested with uh, the trust of Canadians uh, to make decisions away from uh, the interference of politicians that uh, could be on the on Pierre hit list. And is that going to attract a whole bunch of, you know, uh, blue liberals in the middle who would yeah. uh, maybe like an alternative to Justin Trudeau but may not see it with Pierre Poilievre? Although uh, there will be people who will say uh, that it, it's a it's that in Canadian politics governments defeat themselves and then they just turn to whoever the alternative is. And, and people always said... Stephen Harper would never be prime minister and Doug Ford would never be premier of Ontario and Donald Trump would never be president. Right. And, and those are, those are people who maybe uh, many people thought would not be embraced by mainstream voters and, and yet they won elections. Yeah. It's a question of, you know, can, and, and what Pierre Polyev has going for him, if, if, you know, if he eventually wins the conservative leadership, whoever the conservative leader uh, ends up being after September 10th, uh, what they have going for them is no prospect of an immediate election. So these ideas can be moderated. These ideas can gain traction. These ideas can be abandoned altogether, as we've seen. You know, some conservative leaders recently have won leadership campaigns and then abandoned the ideas that they that they put forward to win those campaigns. So, I mean, a lot can happen. So, you know, there's there's a lot of time between, you know, putting forward ideas and then actually putting them before a national electorate if the deal between the Liberals and the NDP in Parliament holds. So, yeah, we, we, we could see that eventually. Uh, you know, when you, the stridency with which Pierre Polyev puts forward those ideas uh, makes it hard to think that after he gets elected, he'll suddenly be disinterested in firing the governor of the Bank of Canada. That doesn't seem like a thing to me. Yeah. All right, let's turn to the situation in Ukraine and a couple of interesting developments. First of all, uh, Finland is saying that it will apply for NATO membership, despite the fact that there were warnings from from Vladimir Putin about doing that. Um, and on the weekend as well, Canada's ambassador to Ukraine, of course, the the embassy has been reopened there. The ambassador said nothing could have prevented Vladimir Putin from launching the war against Ukraine. She said he wasn't believing history, he wasn't logical, he wasn't rational, he isn't rational. Uh, that was in an interview with the CBC. Um, so what are your thoughts on on the bigger context here of not just this war, but uh, the relationship between NATO and Russia and the the uncertainty and the unsettled feeling that a lot of people have about that part of the world right now. Yeah, for all the wrong reasons, uh, Vladimir Putin has uh, revived, uh, uh, you know, not just uh, not just the uh, the need for NATO, but uh, the desire to be in NATO. Uh, Sweden, Finland, uh, Republic of Georgia, the discussions are back on. So, you know, around Putin, the actions he's taken in Ukraine have sort of galvanized. Uh, you know, those neighbors to say, look, if he's doing this in Ukraine and comments from the Canadian ambassador that nothing could have stopped him, uh, what makes people think that anything else, uh, might stop him, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that makes sense or is, is logical if it doesn't, you know, uh, you know, follow 
what Vladimir Putin sees as the script for the next you know few years. So you've, you've got uh, countries stepping up to join NATO and an eager NATO prepared to accept them, which cinches the you know the the pressure on Vladimir Putin uh, about who's lined up against him. Now does it change what he might do and what has you know so much of the world concerned is what what does he do next in the face of uh, this growing wall of resistance against him and other countries join, joining NATO despite his uh, suggestions and strong suggestions that they not do that. Uh, what, what's next? But clearly, uh, as you know, give, given the NATO charter, uh, when one country's attacked, all countries are attacked. Uh, you know, this is a this is a wall of strength building up to stand up to, to Vladimir Putin. What will he do next? I guess we'll see. Yeah. All right. Finally, Peter. Um, something interesting that's happening this week uh, is that the Prince of Wales is returning to Canada. Um, and the, I think the timing of this is interesting because we know that Queen Elizabeth has not been in good health recently and has not been participating in some of the official roles that she's had in the past, including reopening Parliament in, in the UK. Uh, Prince Charles did that for her. He's arriving with the Duchess of Cornwall. It's a brief visit. Um Three days, I think, but they will go to St. Yep. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador, Ottawa and Yellowknife. Um, and there's a focus on indigenous rec- reconciliation and climate change. Uh, but it's it's interesting because it's a sharp contrast, I would say, to if you think back to the 1980s when Prince Charles would have come here with the Princess of Wales, Diana, and the kind of reaction, the love, the outpouring of affection that Canadians would have given to the royal couple at that time, things are different now. And I think people are asking the question more and more, what is Canada's relationship with the British monarchy going to be going forward? Yeah, and we've seen other you know, Commonwealth countries raise the same concerns and, and in some cases step away from the relationship. Uh, time again, I think this is trip number 19 or 20 uh, for Prince Charles. Are Canadians, uh, you know, going to be receiving a visit from uh, the future king and soon to be uh, future king, uh, given uh, the health of Queen Elizabeth? Um, you know, that's an open question. But to your point, um, things have certainly changed. There, there have been a lot of, you know, a lot of. Uh, uh, scandals. There have been a lot of uh, question marks around, uh, you know, the, the, the value of, of the royal family, uh, the role they play, the role they play in, in, uh, you know, um, in Commonwealth society in a, in a country such as Canada. The polls show that, you know, the desire to, to maintain the mon- uh, the monarchy in this country is uh, slipping and continues to slip. So I, I think what's what's interesting is. Uh, you know the the way they can uh, maintain a uh, certain currency, if I can put it that way, is to is to talk about the things that are important to talk about. So talking about climate change, talking about indigenous issues, which is clearly a, uh, a, a not just a it's a priority in Canada, but obviously it's now you know getting a growing audience around the world. The papal visit coming this summer. Uh, so keeping the focus on issues that matter. Um, and using that office uh, to do that is one way to to maintain relevancy. But you know, it, it's hard to see the same love affair with the royal family that you know was largely engendered by by Queen Elizabeth uh, ca- carrying on uh, with the royal offspring. Yeah. All right. We'll see what happens this week, Peter. Thank you so much for joining us today. All right. Always good to talk to you, Mark. Take care. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. 
Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Jamie Watt argues the U.S. Supreme Court leak on the abortion ruling shows that progress is never safe. Watt writes, When Roe v. Wade was passed in 1973, it was decided 7-2 to with five Republican appointees in favor. Almost 50 years later, it stands a real chance of being overturned by Republican appointees. Alarm bells were sounded as Donald Trump loaded the court, but the consequences seemed so far away that they were dismissed. Rights, no matter how established, are never immune to challenges or threats. Even though many rights have been won over decades or even centuries, their erosion starts in a creeping and incremental way and can well end at whiplash speed. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues the Emergencies Act inquiry must be nonpartisan. The Sun writes, The formal Emergencies Act inquiry hasn't yet begun, but a special joint committee for the House of Commons that's looking into the issue has been underway for a few weeks now. That committee has so far proven to be an exercise in liberal spin antics. The two should be completely different affairs because the committee is by nature a political exercise and the inquiry is, hopefully, a nonpartisan investigation. At cbc.ca, Larry Hughes argues electric vehicle drivers shouldn't get a subsidized ride. Hughes writes... To cover the cost of keeping up our roads, drivers pay a fee in the form of a fuel tax whenever they refuel their vehicle. Electric vehicles circumvent this system, meaning they benefit from using roads without paying for their upkeep. Most levels of government promote electric vehicles as a means of reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the transportation sector. But if electric vehicles become a sizable portion of the vehicle fleet and these vehicles do not pay for their use of the roads, revenues for the upkeep of our roads will decline, and provinces will find it increasingly difficult to pay for road maintenance. The promised electric vehicle future must include sensibly designed road usage fees. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will meet with the Mayor of Regina. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will attend question period. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie will hold a media call to conclude her participation in the G7 and NATO Foreign Ministers meetings and the member states of the European Union meeting. Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Mark Miller, Indigenous Services Minister Patty Haidu, and Justice Minister David Lametti will provide an update on actions and investments to support Indigenous communities regarding the ongoing impacts of residential schools. And Minister Miller will also appear before the Senate Committee on Aboriginal Peoples to discuss the final report of the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, May 16th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.